and welcome to LibriVox Community Podcast number 141, The Shakespeare Podcast. My name is Charlotte Duckett, username Catrose, and I shall be your host through this special podcast to celebrate the 400th anniversary of the death of William Shakespeare. In this podcast, you will hear contributions from LibriVox members on their experiences with the great bard of Stratford-upon-Avon. Throughout the show, I will be playing extracts, sonnets and soliloquies recommended by both members of the forum and listeners via our Facebook group. The podcast will conclude with a widely anticipated behind-the-scenes look at our four recent Flash Mob Shakespeare projects. I hope you enjoy the show. I will start off with my own experiences of Shakespeare here at LibriVox. To date, I have lent my voice to ten Shakespeare plays, and a further five that are adaptions or reworking of Shakespeare dramas. I have also proof-listened to eight. People who talk to me, both via PM and in the real world, will know that the works of the bards and studying him has completely and utterly taken over my life. I don't know what it is about his work that makes him still relevant after 400 years, whilst many of his contemporaries have faded into obscurity. I see it as a kind of magic. A strand of humanity or human behaviour, forever captured and woven perfectly into his words. After 400 years, the jokes he tells are still funny, and the feelings he captures are still so raw and powerful. I found LibriVox just over four years ago, using the usual method of having googled three audiobooks of, and then scrolling down. It was approaching 11 o'clock at night, and I was currently swept up in an obsession with Macbeth, and... With the closest theatres to me being about an hour away, I'd had no opportunities to hear it other than speaking it out loud to myself. Finding the LibriVox version of Macbeth started an obsession for me, and gave me the confidence to stop reading plays in a whisper to myself, and start reading them out loud to the world. So, for my recommendation, here's the audiobook that started off my obsession. Starring M.B. as Malcolm, and John Leader as Macduff, I present to you an extract from Act 4, Scene 3, of Macbeth, Version 1. With this there grows in my most ill-composed affection such a staunchless avarice that, were I king, I should cut off the nobles for their lands, desire his jewels and this other's house, and my more having would be as a sauce to make me hunger more that I should forge quarrels unjust against the good and loyal, destroying them for wealth. This avarice sticks deeper, grows with more pernicious root than summer-seeming lust, and it hath been the sword of our slain kings. Yet do not fear. Scotland hath poisons to fill up your will of your mere own. All these are portable, with other graces weighed. But I have none, the king becoming graces, as justice, verity, temperance, stableness, bounty, perseverance, mercy, lowliness, devotion, patience, courage, fortitude. I have no relish of them, but abound in the division of each several crime, acting it many ways. Nay, had I power, I should pour the sweet milk of concord into hell, Uproar the universal peace, confound all unity on earth. O Scotland, Scotland. If such a one be fit to govern, speak. I am as I have spoken. 
fit to govern, no, not to live. O nation miserable, with an untitled tyrant bloody scepted, when shalt thou see thy wholesome days again, since that the truest issue of thy throne, by his own interdiction, stands accursed, and does blaspheme his breed? The royal father was a most sainted king. The queen that bore thee, oftener upon her knees than on her feet, died every day she lived. Fare thee well. These evils thou repeat'st upon thyself have banished me from Scotland. O oh, my breast, thy hope ends here. Hi, my name is Leanne. I'm seventeen, and I've been volunteering on LibriVox for about two months now. I first came across LibriVox when my English teacher mentioned it in class, and um, she recommended that we listen to audiobook versions of our texts to help us slow down and appreciate them more. I was trying to compile a list of quotes to memorise for my exam, and, you know, skim reading really isn't the way to do it. So, I listened to Hamlet, and I listened to Joseph Andrews by Henry Fielding, and I was just amazed. Um, I was amazed by the fact that people, like, you know, all, all around the world could come together online and just volunteer and collaborate in making books come to life. Um, and I signed up for LibriVox literally the same day. I love acting. I participate in a ton of drama productions at my school, you know, whenever I can. But I've kind of always been better at expressing myself through my voice alone, instead of my entire body, I think. Because um, when I'm on stage, my body language gets a bit awkward and stunted and, well, yeah. The first project I was a part of was a collection of Shakespeare monologues. I contributed two from Hamlet. Uh, one by Hamlet, and the other by Ophelia. And so far, I've been a part of 13 productions and counting. And what I love about it is that 90% of the time, anyone can sign up for any role, regardless of gender or age or whatever. So it was super fun to play roles I would never be cast in in real life. I'm having a really great time in LibriVox. I would highly recommend it to anyone who loves English and or drama, um, whether they listen to the recordings or participate in making new ones. From the Shakespeare Monologue Collection number 12, here is Leanne Yao's first recording, a monologue from Hamlet. Oh my lord, my lord, I have been so affrighted! My lord, as I was sewing in my closet, Lord Hamlet, with his doublet all unbraced, no hat upon his head, his stockings fouled, ungarted, and down-jibbed to his ankle. Pale as his shirt, his knees knocking each other, and with a look so piteous in purport, as if he had been loosed out of hell to speak of horrors. He comes before me. My lord, I do not know, but truly, I do fear it. He took me by the wrist, and held me hard. Then goes he to the length of all his arm, and, with his other hand, thus, o'er his brow, he falls to such perusal of my face as he would draw it. Long stayed he so. At last, a little shaking of mine arm, and thrice his head, thus, waving up and down, he raised a sigh, so piteous and profound as it did seem to shatter all his bulk and end his being. That done, he lets me go, and with his head over his shoulder turned, he seemed to find his way without his eyes, 
for out of doors he went without their help, and, to the last, bended the light on me. Continuing on the theme of Hamlet, and as suggested by a listener on the Facebook page, here is Claudius's soliloquy from Hamlet, performed by Elizabeth Kletz. Oh, my offence is rank! It smells to heaven! It hath the primal eldest curse upon a brother's murder. Pray can I not, though inclination be as sharp as will, my stronger guilt defeats my strong intent. And like a man to double business bound, I stand in pause where I shall first begin, and both neglect. What if this cursed hand were thicker than itself with brother's blood? Is there not rain enough in the sweet heavens to wash it white as snow? Whereto serves mercy but to confront the visage of offence? And what's in prayer but this twofold force to be forestalled ere we come to fall, or pardoned being down? Then I'll look up. My fault is past. But, oh, what form of prayer can serve my turn? Forgive me my foul murder? That cannot be, since I am still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder. My crown, mine own ambition, and my queen. May one be pardoned and retain the offence? In the corrupted currents of this world offence's gilded hand may shove by justice, and oft tis seen the wicked prize itself buys out the law. But tis not so above. There is no shuffling, there the action lies in his true nature. And we ourselves compelled even to the teeth and forehead of our faults to give in evidence. What then? What rests? Try what repentance can. What can it not? Yet what can it when one cannot repent? O oh, wretched state! O oh, bosom black as death! O oh, limed soul that struggling to be free art more engaged! Help! Angels, make a say! Bow, stubborn knees, and heart with strings of steel be soft as sinews of the newborn babe. All may be well. Hello, I'm Carol Box. When Charlotte invited me to speak about my experience of Shakespeare, it was a foregone conclusion that I would do so. I'm going to tell the truth and shame the devil. I cannot claim to be an avid fan of Shakespeare. My earliest memory of the Bard is during my first year in the Convent Grammar School rendition of A Midsummer Night's Dream, when we, the flaming youth of Gumley House, each of us too young to feel like a laughing stock, made short shrift of the play, although I seem to remember that we had the audience in stitches. We were later taken to see how it should be done in the wonderful setting of the open-air theatre in Regent's Park. When I entered the brave new world of LibriVox, I recorded my favourite sonnet, number 29, which I'd learned by heart back in the convent. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, 
I all alone beweep my outcast state, And trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries, And look upon myself, and curse my fate. Oh, the pathos, a perfect poem to teach teenage girls, Adds a touch of class to Nobody Understands Me. In 2012, David Richardson invited me to join him in recording a piece from Cymbeline for the first collection of Shakespearean dialogues. We must have seemed strange bedfellows, a high-flying TV producer and a back-of-beyond home county's housewife. But in our mind's eye we were Yakimo and Imogen. Well, what's done is done, and all's well that ends well. I shall wait with bated breath to hear what others have to say in this podcast. Then maybe I shall become an avid fan. If you are one, you probably noticed twelve little phrases coined by the bard all those years ago and still in use today. Here is an extract from Carol, joined by David Richardson, in Cymbeline, Act 1, Scene 6, from the first Shakespeare Dialogue Collection. Continues well, my lord? His health, beseech you. Well, madam. Is he disposed to mirth? I hope he is. Exceeding pleasant. None a stranger there. So merry and so gamesome, he is called the Briton Reveller. When he was here, he did incline to sadness and oft-times not knowing why. I never saw him sad. There is a Frenchman, his companion, one an eminent monsieur, that, it seems, much loves a galleon girl at home. He furnaces the thick sighs from him, whilst the jolly Briton, your lord, I mean, laughs from free lungs, cries, Oh, can my sides hold to think that man who knows by history, report, or his own proof what woman is, yea, what she cannot choose, but must be. Will his free hours languish for a suet bondage? Will my lord say so? Ay, madam, with his eyes in flood with laughter, it is a recreation to be by, and hear him mock the Frenchman. But heaven knows some men are much to blame. From Cymbeline, we move over to The Winter's Tale, as recommended by LibriVox member Ray Casper. This extract features Ariel Lipshaw and Bruce Perry. There's some ill planet reigns, I must be patient till the heavens look with an aspect more favourable. Good, my lords, I am not prone to weeping as our sex commonly are, the want of which vain Jew perchance shall dry your pities. But I have that honourable grief lodged here which burns worse than tears drown. Beseech you all, my lords, with thoughts so qualified as your charity shall best instruct you, measure me. And so the king's will be performed. Shall I be heard? Who is that goes with me? Beseech your highness my women may be with me, for you see my plight requires it. Do not weep, good fools, there is no cause. When you shall know your mistress has deserved prison, then abound in tears as I come out. This action I now go on is for my better grace. Adieu, my lord. I never wished to see you sorry. Now I trust I shall. My women, come, you have leave. Go, do our bidding, hence. My first introduction to Shakespeare came when I was a little girl. My dad took me to see Twelfth Night. It was performed by a group of local amateurs. 
At that age, I didn't get all the nuances, but I had a whale of a time. I understood that Malvolio was funny, that Olivia was a bit of a drama queen, that Viola was in love and trying to hide it. I also understood something that I didn't realize at the time, that Shakespeare was not something exclusive and out of reach and far away. The people who were performing him were local school teachers, office workers, college students, storekeepers, who were putting on a Shakespeare play in their spare time because they loved it. That's the meaning of amateur. It means you do it for the love of it. Shakespeare doesn't belong exclusively to those college professors who write learned treatises on him. He doesn't belong exclusively to actors who have had some kind of special training and who perform with the Royal Shakespeare Company or Lincoln Center. He belongs to everybody. I love the great performances by the great actors and actresses as much as anybody. But most of the Shakespeare plays that I've watched have been performed by local amateurs. There's a production in the park every summer in my city. I've heard him performed in my local Rochesterian accent, which is funny-sounding to people who aren't from around here. You don't have to have a cultured British accent to perform Shakespeare. Shakespeare has been performed in every variety of English spoken on the globe. He's been performed in languages other than English all over the globe. Maybe someday when we colonize outer space, it'll be spoken in the languages of Neptune, Jupiter, and Alpha Centauri. Over the last 400 years, Shakespeare has been performed by everybody who wants to perform him. We all want to be his characters and bring them to life. I love listening to the variety of readers who have tackled Shakespeare here on LibriVox. I love listening to how much people love Shakespeare. If you're staying away from Shakespeare because you're somehow intimidated by him, well, don't be. Listen to us and take courage. Find a play you like, open up the book, and read it out loud. Shakespeare belongs to you. He belongs to me. He belongs to everybody. Now, we were asked to recommend a passage from Shakespeare that we'd like to hear on this podcast, and I just want to say I would love to recommend Bottom and his friends performing Pyramus and Thisbe from A Midsummer Night's Dream, because they were amateurs, too, putting on a play that they loved for the sheer love of doing it. All I have to say is to tell you that the lanthorn is the moon, I the man in the moon, this thornbush, my thornbush, and this dog, my dog. Why, all these should be in the lanthorn, for all these are in the moon. But silence, here comes Fisby. This is old Ninny's tomb. Where is my love? Oh! The lion tears Thisbe's mantle and exit. Sweet moon, I thank thee for thy sunny beams. I thank thee, moon, for shining now so bright. For by thy gracious, golden, glittering gleams, I trust to take of truest Thisbe sight. But stay, O oh spite, but mark, poor knight, what dreadful dole is here? Eyes, do you see? How can it be? O oh, dainty duck, O oh, dear! That was version three of A Midsummer Night's Dream, featuring Chuck Williamson, Alan Mapstone, Monica MC, Glorious Job, Algie Pug, and Libby Gone. 
Coming up next, here is an extract from Prospero's famous speech, In the Tempest, read by Bruce Perry, as suggested by one of our listeners on the Facebook group. You do look, my son, in a moved sort, as if you were dismayed. Be cheerful, sir, our revels now are ended. These, our actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits, and are melted into air, into thin air. And, like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, yea, all which it inherit, shall dissolve, and like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a rack behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. Sir, I am vexed. Bear with my weakness. My old brain is troubled. Be not disturbed with my infirmity. If you be pleased, retire into my cell, and there repose. A turn or two I'll walk to still my beating mind. We, we wish, wish your, your peace. peace. Hi, everybody. This is John Burlinson, a reader for LibriVox. My first experience with Shakespeare may, may not have been all that different from yours. I had a parent who just loved Shakespeare, and my dad was determined that I would inherit that love of Shakespeare, too. So as a child, he and I would sit together on the sofa with a copy of the complete works of William Shakespeare on our laps, the biggest book we had in the house, I can tell you. We'd open it up to the beginning of a play, Act One, Scene One, and we would start reading it aloud to each other, alternating lines, no matter who the character was that spoke them. And I recall the first one we did was Julius Caesar. So I was lucky enough to get the line, You blocks, you stones, you worse than senseless things. I just loved that line. I didn't know who Caesar was, really. I knew he was important. I had no idea who Pompey was. If you know that play, you know that it's two tribunes talking to the working class of Rome. I didn't know what a tribune was. I didn't know what the Tiber was. My dad explained all that to me as we went along, so it was quite an education. I grew up on a cattle ranch in southern Arizona, USA, about as far away from Stratford-upon-Avon and the Globe Theater of London as you can possibly imagine. I didn't have much chance to watch Shakespeare on the stage or even on television because although we had a TV, we had no cable, no satellite dish. We did have an antenna, but it was always blowing off whenever the wind came up. I did have two things that were important. I had a phonograph and I had a library card. And so I listened to just about every Shakespeare play there was on recordings made by the Marlowe Society and by Cadman Recordings, uh, the great Howard Sackler director. I heard some of the greatest actors of all time reading the greatest roles of all time. Rex Harrison and Rachel Roberts in Much Ado About Nothing. Or uh, my favorite, John Gielgud reading Richard III. Richard II. Richard II. Uh, Robert Stevens did a wonderful job with Richard III. Well, all that was a long time ago, and now, believe it or not, 
I am actually one of those voices reading Shakespeare through the magic of LibriVox. I just got through with a recording, the fourth recording for LibriVox, of A Midsummer Night's Dream in honor of the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death. Now, this is an unusual version of Midsummer Night's Dream because there are only three readers doing all the characters. I encourage you to take a listen if you have a spare moment or two or three hours. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy LibriVox, and I know you enjoy William Shakespeare. From version four of A Midsummer Night's Dream, here is John Berlinson, Tony Addison, and Sonia. Where's Peas Blossom? Ready. Scratch my head, Peas Blossom. Where's Monsieur Cobweb? Ready. Monsieur Cobweb, good Monsieur, get you your weapons in your hand and kill me a red-hipped humblebee on the top of a thistle. And, good Monsieur, bring me the honey-bag. Do not fret yourself too much in the action, Monsieur. And, good Monsieur, have a care the honey-bag break not. I would be loath to have you overflown with a honey-bag, Signor. <laughs> Where's Monsieur Mustard-seed? Ready. Give me your knife, Monsieur. Pray you, leave your courtesy, good Monsieur. What's your will? Nothing, good Monsieur, but to help cavalry cobweb to scratch. I must to the barber's, Monsieur, for methinks I am marvellous hairy about the face. And I'm such a tender ass, if my hair do but tickle me, I must scratch it. <laughs> What wilt thou hear some music, my sweet love? I have a reasonable good ear in music. Let's have the tongs and the bones. Eh? <laughs> this group of friends and recorders, John, Tony and Sonia, were joined by Beth Thomas and Michelle Eaton for another unusual Shakespeare project a collection of the public's favourite scenes, as voted at the World Shakespeare Festival of 2012. Entitled Favourite Scenes from Shakespeare, the following extract is Cleopatra's death scene from Antony and Cleopatra, Act 5, Scene 2. Dissolve thick cloud and rain, that I may say the gods themselves do weep. This proves me base, if she first meet the curled Antony, He'll make demand of her, and spend that kiss which is my heaven to have. Come, thou mortal wretch. To an asp which she applies to her breast. With thy sharp teeth this not intrinsicate of life at once untie. Poor venomous fool, be angry and dispatch. Oh, couldst thou speak, that I might hear thee call great Caesar as unpolicied. Oh, eastern star. Peace. Peace, dost thou not see my baby at my breast that sucks the nurse sleep? Oh, break, oh, break. As sweet as balm, as soft as air, as gentle, 
O oh, Antony, nay, I will take thee too. Applying another asp to her arm. What should I stay? Another member of the LibriVox players, an informal name given to anyone who has helped a dramatic production at LibriVox, is Capricia Page. Capricia couldn't record her segment for today's show, but I'm going to read it for you. For me, Shakespeare was really my first introduction to real writing and reading. I discovered him the summer I turned ten, and had to read every single play and poem. My rather innocent mind was too young to understand all the levels he was writing on, but even then, I knew this was vastly different from the R.L. Stein, Stephen King, and even the T.S. Eliot I had wandered into. I knew even in that moment, stumbling through A Winter's Tale, that my literary life would never be the same, and I am very happy to say it hasn't. Some of my fondest memories are collaborating on Shakespeare projects. One, in particular, focused on the women of Shakespeare, and we were lucky enough to get a bold gentleman to play one of the older women in the scene, giving it a flair of the times. That scene has remained one of my all-time favourite collaborations for that very reason. Good work, good colleagues, excellent product, every time. From the Shakespearean Dialogue Collection number 2, here is Coriolanus, Act 1, Scene 3, read by Duran, Martin Giesen, and Capricia Page. My ladies both, good day to you. Sweet madam. I am glad to see your ladyship. How do you both? You are manifest housekeepers. What are you sewing here? A fine spot in good faith. How does your little son? I thank your ladyship. Well, good madam. He had rather see the swords and hear a drum than look upon his schoolmaster. <laughs> Oh, my word, the father's son. I'll swear tis a very pretty boy. On oh, my troth, I've looked upon him on Wednesday. Half an hour together. Has such a confirmed countenance. I saw him run after a gilded butterfly. Before I hand over to the girls for the flash mob Shakespeare, I'd like to take a moment to pay a tribute. A year ago, the LibriVox players lost a prominent member of our group of friends. Denny Sayers had contributed to many a LibriVox drama and many a Shakespeare. He was truly a Shakespearean thespian at heart. One particular memory I have of Denny was during the Romeo and Juliet version 4 project. Denny read the role of Friar Lawrence and claimed that, although the play was called Romeo and Juliet, the main character was in fact the Friar. Of course, I laughed it off until I heard Denny's recording. He was completely correct. There was absolutely nothing the rest of us could do in the drama that could match the magic of Denny's performance as the friar. So, on behalf of the LibriVox Dramatic Forum, I'd like to say how grateful we are to have worked with you, and joked with you, and would like to thank you for having given us your voice and your heart. From Act Two, Scene Three, Romeo and Juliet. The Friar's Soliloquy, performed by the one and only, greatly missed, Denny Sayers. The grey-eyed morn smiles on the frowning night, checkering the eastern clouds with streaks of light, and flecked darkness, like a drunkard reels from forth day's path, and titans fiery wheels, 
Now, ere the sun advance his burning eye, The day to cheer, and night's dank dew to dry, I must upfill this osier cage of ours With baleful weeds and precious juiced flowers. The earth that's nature's mother is her tomb. What is her burying grave? That is her womb. And from her womb, children of diverse kind, We, sucking on her natural bosom, find many, For many virtues excellent, none but for some, And yet all different. Oh, mickle is the powerful grace that lies in herbs, plants, stones, and their true qualities. For naught so vile that on the earth doth live, but to the earth some special good doth give. Nor aught so good, but strained from that fair use, revolt from true birth, stumbling on abuse. Virtue itself turns vice, being misapplied, And vice, sometimes, by action dignified. Mm -hmm. Within the infant rind of this small flower, Poison hath residence, and medicine power. For this being smelt, with that part cheers each part being tasted slays all senses with the heart two such opposed kings encamp them still in man as well as herbs grace and rude will and where the worser is predominant full soon the canker death eats up that plant now I'd like to hand my podcast over to Adele and Esther to find out how they've been celebrating this Shakespeare anniversary. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend us your ears and welcome to the behind the scenes of our exciting and crazy plan to perform Shakespeare in a way it has never been done before. I'm not sure how we are still able to record or even talk after it, but here we are. Hi, I'm Adele Pinoles, And I'm Esther Benseminides. And we'd like to share with you our most recent, crazy, project. Shakespeare in two weeks, three times. And Shakespeare in a month. That makes four full-length dramatic readings of Shakespeare in ten weeks. You're probably asking yourself right now, are we crazy? And the answer is, yes. Well, maybe, but probably. So where did we come up with this idea? And what made us do it? Well, first we heard of the Shakespeare in a Week project in 2006. Our first reaction was, oh... We're too late. And then we realized that we were too late for all the Shakespeare projects. They had all been done already. Every single one. And so I thought, oh well, I'm too late. I guess I'll just have to do other projects. But then I came along and said to Esther, what are you thinking? There is such a thing as choice of voice. Why don't we do one ourselves? There was this eerie silence in the room as I read her PM. And then I thought to myself, she really is crazy. Yeah. Then I asked Esther, what are your favorite Shakespeare's? And I said, oh, I don't know, The Comedy of Errors, Julius Caesar maybe, but you can't be serious. But I most definitely was serious. We compiled a list of our four favorite Shakespeare. The Merchant Affairs, 
The Comedy of Errors, The Taming of the Shrew, and Julius Caesar, and started planning a crazy idea to do one a week. We soon realized just how, um, unsensible this idea was, so we came up with a new plan. We were going to do the three comedies, The Merchant of Venice, The Comedy of Errors, and The Taming of the Shrew, in two weeks each, and then Julius Caesar, The Longer Tragedy, in one month. And so we launched our first play, The Merchant of Venice, on February 13th, 2016. After a whirlwind of recording, editing, and peeling, we finished on the 29th. For the first play, we decided not to play roles ourselves so that we could take care of orphans. But there were no orphans, so when the Comedy of Errors, which we launched an hour before March 1st, we decided to play the Dromeos. But more on that coming later. Because the Comedy of Errors has less parts, we finished that one in only 12 days. Almost immediately after, we launched The Taming of the Shrew, one of the most well-known of Shakespeare's comedies, in which I played Bianca, the younger sister, and I played Katharina, the elder. We were hard-pressed for time, and with time zone differences and PLs that had to sleep, seriously, we finished on April 1st. The same day, we launched Julius Caesar, the Great Roman Tragedy. And so the question you're all asking yourselves is, how did that go? And the answer is, you will just have to wait and find out. Check back on May 1st to see the results. If it all works out, has it ever not? There were times when I wondered, this could be the time. Well, at any rate, we're going to move on to the next thing we're going to talk about, our favorite scenes. From The Merchant of Venice, Act 4, Scene 1. Art thou contented, Jew? What dost thou say? I am content. Clark, draw a deed of gift. I pray you. Give me leave to go from hence. I am not well. Send the deed after me, and I will sign it. So that was so fun to listen to, I couldn't stop laughing. And then comes the part we did in the Comedy of Errors, at the end of Act 5. There is a fat friend at your master's house that kittened me for you today at dinner. She now shall be my sister, not my wife. Methinks you are my glass and not my brother. I see by you I am a sweet-faced youth. Will you walk in to see their gossiping? Not I, sir. You are my elder. That's a question. How shall we try it? We'll draw cuts for the senior. Till then, lead thou first. Nay, then, thus. We came into the world like brother and brother. Now, let's go in hand, not one before another. And now, for the mystery reveal. Drumroll, please. What makes it even more funny is that it's true. We don't look exactly like each other, but almost everything else in that clip is true. She is my elder sister, and we get asked if we're twins all the time. So that's why the Dromeos sound so alike. Now we'd like to show you our favorite part in The Taming of the Shrew, Act 4, Scene 5. Good morrow, gentle mistress, where away? Ah, tell me, sweet Kate, and tell me truly, too. Hast thou beheld a fresher gentlewoman, such war of white and red within her cheeks? What stars do spangle heaven with such beauty, as those two eyes become that heavenly face? Fair, lovely maid, one small good day to thee, sweet Kate, embrace her for her beauty's sake. I will make the man mad to make a woman of him. Young budding virgin, fair and fresh and sweet, whither away, or where is thy abode? Happy the parents of so fair a child, 
happier the man whom favourable stars allot thee for his lovely bedfellow why how now kate i hope thou art not mad this is a man old wrinkled faded withered and not a maiden as thou sayest he is now you understand that in the taming of the shrew as well when i played bianca the younger sister my elder sister adele was playing katharina so you see that part is all true i'm the perfect younger daughter and she's not seriously and of course last but definitely not least our favorite part in julius caesar which you'll have to wait until it comes out to hear but to give you a hint it's when antony turns around brutus's speech saying that caesar's murder was necessary to save democracy and makes all the people like Caesar and want to avenge his murder. Yep, in which I play Antony, and Adele is going to play any parts left in hopes of finishing by the deadline, which is rapidly advancing. So that's pretty much it. When Julius Caesar finishes, we're going to take a break from Shakespeare and work on other dramatic projects. Take a vacation, go to the beach, but we'll keep Shakespeare in mind. There's always a Midsummer Night's Dream, Hamlet. So we'll let you know what happens, whether or not I can convince Adele that doing more of this would be crazy. To record or not to record? That is the question. This has been podcast number 141, the Shakespeare Podcast, in celebration of the 400th anniversary of the death of William Shakespeare. I have been your host, Charlotte Duckett. Thank you for listening, and have a good day.